0: either one of these any good wow this is a good movie it's pretty good well the director from yesterday doesn't think so it stinks you sorry (laughs) you waste all our film it's so bad one of those weeks where you would think you might guess we only have one movie but we don't we have one big movie right (laughs) and a few more to talk about but definitely some good stuff welcome This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com, and of course, we're going to start with a gritty character study of Arthur Fleck, a man disregarded by society in Joker. My mother always tells me to smile and put on a
1: happy face. She told me I had a purpose to bring laughter and joy to the world. Is it
0: just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? Well, there's so many angles to talk about this movie. Right at the top though, we liked it. Yeah, we did. It got such build up. I would say Hype. I don't know if you could call it hype. It got so many headlines. You heard about the army or somebody getting ready or or, or warning about possible... You know, one of my first thoughts in, in watching this was, where did that come from? I know. I don't get that at all. I thought that was incredibly overblown. I don't know where it started, but of course, with today's, you know, internet wildfires, things that don't deserve to catch fire, do. Sure. And that one is is just not, to me, it's not even an issue. No. Not even an issue at all. But we liked it. Um, one thing we've been talking about a lot, especially this morning when we did our TV gig, not for the kids. No, do not bring your children. Because, first of all, it's a slow burn. So they're
1: going to be bored. And then, second of all, when it's violent, it gets seriously, <laughs> yeah. seriously violent. Yes. Because this movie is basically Taxi Driver with Clown Face.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's obviously exists with DC characters, based on DC characters, but it's not in that usual superhero universe that you're thinking of. It's an origin story about this villain, and when I look back, I, we're not, as we've mentioned a few times, we're not comic book people, but I did do a little bit of reading about it, and the basic premise of the joker being a failed stand-up comedian is something the comics have addressed over the years there are at least one origin thread in one of the comics did explore that and that's where that's the one piece of uh, of lore i guess that is kept in this movie because that is used as a basis for the character Arthur Fleck, played incredibly by Joaquin Phoenix, is that he has designs on being a stand-up comedian.
1: Right. Well, it's interesting because usually, although it does, you know, its it's got the big DC stamp, but usually, you know, these these film adaptations have a ton of screenwriters listed because of the characters and because of, of you know, whichever comic they pulled from. And this does not. It's just got the two guys... Mm-hmm. Todd Phillips, Todd, the, the right, writer. Todd Phillips,
0: writer-director. And the other writer is... Um, uh,
1: he won an Oscar for The Fighter. Yeah. Um, Scott Silver? Yeah. And they really do, they definitely carve their own path with this. Oh, yeah. And as you say, I mean, it's set in a completely different universe. I mean, we thought Nolan went gritty, but this is, I mean, that is. It's a, it's a, it, it, he couldn't be more of a Scorsese fanboy, Todd Phillips, which, I mean, who isn't, right? Yeah. But this is very definitely, it's got the feeling of Taxi Driver all over it. It's set in Gotham City in 1981, the mm-hmm. trash strike, so New York, uh, the trash strike, joblessness, a lot of violence in the city, and people are cranky, and Bruce Wayne's dad is going to run for mayor. But he really kind of has a disdain for everybody who's struggling. So that's really the the atmosphere. And then into this, Arthur and his mom, get together, they sit together on the couch every day and watch this late-night talk show, which is hosted by Robert De Niro. And this is where you can also really, really see how the king of comedy plays sure. into, you know, the nods that he has for Scorsese in, in this fact, movie. In there's
0: fact, there's a scene where Arthur is playing out, he's sitting on the couch and pretending to be a guest on the show. Yeah. Which, of course, reminds you of King of Comedy when he got those cutouts of Liza Minnelli and other people and pretending to be on the show. And the fact that you have De Niro not playing Rupert Pupkin. Or or Travis Bickle. Or or Travis Bickle, (laughs) but playing this Murray Franklin talk show host. Yeah, there's so much Corsese going on in here, which is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, wear it. Own it. And you do feel that because, as you said, it is set in 1981. And Arthur is definitely dealing with some mental illness. Mm -hmm. He goes to see caseworkers, and he finds out as it goes along a little bit more about his family history of mental illness. But what struck me, you heard so much early on, was that somehow it started that this movie could possibly be sympathizing with the incel. Right. I didn't get that at all.
1: No, I mean, it's a guy who feels very ostracized and alone, and, and you know, he turns to violence. But what I think is interesting... Is, so here's what I think is interesting, is that, and we talked a couple weeks ago about how also the movie The Hunt got shelved. The the movies that seem to generate a lot of worry are the movies where the violence is turned against the people in power, exactly. where, again, nobody said, don't go see Rambo right. because because right. the white guy shoots a bunch of, of Mexicans. Yes. That's, that was fine that was perfectly patriotic but uh-huh. when he turns the tables and he shoots a bunch of people in power with money all of a sudden that's a big problem now i'm not saying i'm not pro, pro violence ever no but uh, it's a
0: it's a funny double standard really that is, is worth pointing out it that's really exactly is. right because when he goes off uh, the things that set him off or oh, he's 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 looking up yeah. He's looking up at the those in power right. who looking down with disdain, including uh, Bruce Wayne's dad, that's right. on the people that don't do well enough for themselves. Right,
1: they're not trying hard enough on their own. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, the, so there's a lot that's going well in this movie. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is the reason to see it. Holy cow! Yeah,
0: we could do a whole segment just on his performance, just to say it is phenomenal. Yeah. And one of the things that struck me was you go back to the first Batman, Tim Burton's Batman, and everybody thought, well, Jack Nicholson, that's it. That's the Joker. That's the definite Joker. And then Heath Ledger comes along and rewrites that book. And now Joaquin Phoenix has come along and rewritten it again. And it almost, to me, it seems like he's just fulfilling the destiny of the character and how it's been going, because it went from a very comic treatment with Nicholson to a very serious, dark treatment with Ledger. And now, you want dark? Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. This goes farther and and even more, quote-unquote, realistic yeah. uh, as to how somebody snaps. Right. Um, well, also,
1: yeah, this is... So Heath Ledger's... He already exists as the Joker. There's no this is the origin story. Right. You know, and you're you're with him. And that's one of the things. I mean, not only is his his physical performance just amazing, but he's so vulnerable. He's so vulnerable. And I think that's one of the things that caused problems for early viewers or for, you know, the the pearl clutchers was because you really feel feel for him and then of course when it gets violent and it's boldly violent I it mean is. when it when when it goes for it it goes for the jugular yeah and I think it's the yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, for real yeah. and uh, <laughs> I think it's the idea that people are uncomfortable that you're feeling sympathetic toward this
0: character but you definitely are but at the same time I mean nobody's saying that's who I want to grow up to be yeah, the performance is incredible. His the, his physicality, not only how he he made himself look in scenes where he has his shirt off, yeah. it's just real, almost grotesque. Yeah, it's the way he contorts himself yes. and the way he dances. Oh yeah, and the way he just controls his movement mm-hmm. in the space that he's in. Yeah, and also what you brought up is his uh, his continued chemistry with his other cast members. Yeah, it's and so unnerving. It is, and you've got a. a Cast of familiar faces. Francis Conroy plays his mother. Yeah. Uh, you've got uh, Shea Wiggum mm-hmm. plays a, a Gotham City cop, along with Bill Camp, yeah. who you may not know his name, but you know you his know face. You know his face. He's a that guy. And everybody's solid, and it just gives Joaquin Phoenix such room to own yeah. this yeah. in his performance. So he's he's got to be nominated and probably win an Oscar for this. I, I don't see how you could you could deny him. Of course, I haven't seen every movie that's going to come out and be right. uh, be, uh, be up for it, but he's, he's just that good. Um, and you
1: know what? It, it's it's a high time. Walkie, it is because you know that's one of the things that we were talking about together. Uh, coming up to this is that you know, Joaquin uh, Phoenix breathes rarefied air. There, I mean, he's one of the two, three, four best act,
0: living actors. Best, and he just continues in in big films like this or in small films yeah. that people don't see. Yeah. Just just performance after performance is just incredible. that's yeah, so, true. You're absolutely right. It's one of those where you just can't see this movie existing without no, him. No. But let, that being said, let's move past him and go to some of the other aspects of the movie. First of all, the direction. Yeah. Todd Phillips getting a lot of headlines. He, he's mainly known as a comedy director, did the, the Hangover Trilogy, the Due Date. Mm-hmm. Old not, school. Old school. Good stuff there. Some of it, uh, yeah. This is not the first time though. He's branched out into doing something else. He did a movie a few years ago, I think three years ago, called War Dogs. Right. Uh, it was Jonah Hill and Miles Teller, and it was a uh, based on a true story of these guys that made so much money uh, dealing arms, and it was pretty successful. He, he proved it was. It's a solid movie. It's just I thought it went off the rails in tone, and it had more. Mm-hmm. Fun treating these guys as just a yeah. respect Look at these scamps. respect for their hijinks, yeah. in, in, instead of what this taught us about the world. Right. So, but still, uh, this is not his first first uh, time moving away from comedy, and I think it's it's more successful. First of all, from a, a craftsmanship point of view, he's got some solid directorial instincts. The, the violence you talked about. Is brutal, yes. Other times it's not. Other times it's implied. Yeah. And some of those shots are very, very well done. Yes. Uh, also a big nod to the cinematographer Lawrence Scher, it's S-H-E-R, mm. uh, who has worked with Phillips before, but his, the, the intensity yeah. of of, yeah. of the uh, atmosphere that he does with Gotham City, so good. So good. So a lot of the instincts are good uh, of where he's going. Um, one of the biggest stumbles uh, in tone was with the thread with De Niro, Sure. And the late night uh, comedy show. Almost every time it went to to that part of the movie, even before Arthur and and Murray Franklin get together and actually have some interaction, uh, when they just went to the set pieces that had to do with the late night talk show, it seemed to me like he was trying to go for an Oliver Stone kind of natural born killer Mm -hmm. sort of over-the-top black comedy satire, Mm -hmm. which is so hard to do. And... You remember those fake sitcom moments in Natural Born Killers. Yeah. It didn't go that far. No, no. But it, it had a break in tone that I just thought for me kind of clashed a little bit. Because that that satire is so hard to do, especially when it's just in little bits. Yeah. Um it it didn't, of course, sink the movie by any means. No, I still no. I still liked it. But that from a from a directorial point of view, that's where I thought it got a little bit. A little bit clunky, there
1: uh, was another part, another sort of tendency that he had, which i I thought was regrettable, is that there are a couple times because there are some f- fantasy elements which which he introduces really early on while he's watching actually the the late night talk show, and then eventually Phillips feels obligated to really hold our hands through some segments that yeah. I thought, just trust us to get it. Yeah. Just trust us to we get it. We certainly don't
0: want to say what those are for no. fear of spoilers, no. but I agree with you. There's a couple of times where, uh, did we need that much spoon yeah, feeding? No. Uh, and then we will say, and you brought it up in the written review, it's not a spoiler, to say that there's there's a scene where Arthur... Crashes a very posh upper crust screening of the classic movie Modern Times right. by, by Charlie Chaplin. We each kind of saw that a, a little, little differently, differently, but I think they're both valid.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I mean what it what it said to me was was a uh, not so subtle nod that the clowns position in history is to reflect society back to us. And that is that is the point in modern times. That's what Charlie Chaplin really always did. Mm-hmm. And that was what I felt like he was saying. This is what this is what the Joker is doing.
0: Right. I agree with that. And the choice of the film, Modern Times, right. I viewed it as kind of a direct nod to say we are also dealing with modern times in the movie I'm making right here. Right. And how one sociopath Might come to have hordes of fanatical followers. Um, (laughs) I thought that was maybe even though this movie is set in 1981, I couldn't escape the fact that they're watching a movie called Modern Times uh, inside a movie that we're watching. So I think both of those views have merit. And I I, and I do, and I do like the fact that when you have a movie trying to make social commentary, it can be left ambiguous, yeah. You know, we just Talked about not having to be spoon-fed. Well, here's a point where he's serving this up. Take from it what you will. Yeah. We both took different things, and I think they both work. And,
1: you know, if you go back to the director, so he's he's made some headlines recently. In fact, the studio canceled, canceled the press tour because... He was having such a hard time <laughs> being a tolerable human being, you know, and he's and it's it's not that uncommon, actually, you know, this whole idea of cancel culture. And, you know, he was complaining and he said he had, you know, he he didn't say this on the tour. What he, he said this actually in a Vanity Fair article that he had to get out of comedy because it's impossible to be funny in the woke culture, which shut up, you know. Yeah. But here's here's the thing, though, what that comes across to me as just a as I said in the review, uh, an uptight white guy who's mad because people don't think he's funny anymore, which is why he's so perfect to reimagine the Joker.
0: That's exactly right. And I don't... I agree with you about that quote. I, I'm i a little hesitant. I didn't read the entire thing. I know how quotes can get removed for shock value and take it out of context. I am I still... I I totally agree with you. That is such a privileged cop-out thing to say. Yeah. And I love uh, Teiko Waititi's... Yeah. Uh, response. Response was... You're funny uh, because he's now doing a movie where he plays Hitler. Right. Uh, that's in a that's comedy. edgy so, comedy,
1: actually. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But um, it's not a great look. No. It's not a great look at no. all. But
1: but, that, but, it, but it really fits this particular film. It does. So, you know, it doesn't make him a guy I want to hang out with, but it, it, it certainly influences film pretty well.
0: Yeah. And on, on the whole, I think it's an incredible success and an incredible s- step forward for him as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. whether he's done, for whatever reason he might be done with comedy, whatever, yeah. just looking at him as a filmmaker, I think this is an incredibly ambitious yeah. statement to make and an incredibly ambitious project to take on to give a, an iconic villain, an iconic character. A backstory like yeah. this is really, really a bold move. It and is. I, and, and, a, and I think he pulls it off very well.
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes I'm a little hung up on the Scorsese thing, and I think that Being so obvious about it by having De Niro in the film, obviously that's very important. But it is so Taxi Driver from the early, early, very earliest moments of the film when Arthur is, you know, sitting in this kind of he's a clown. He's a clown for hire. And he's it's very much like early moments in Taxi Driver. He's the outsider. People think he's a weirdo. He's kind of got this weird camaraderie with other men who are also in this low rung and they have this unusual job. I mean, it's so it's so much of the film is so Taxi Driver.
0: And I think I'm the one of two of us that noticed that Arthur Fleck, A. Fleck, Affleck. I I thought, was that a Batman nod? (laughs) I mean, you come up with that weird kind of name, Arthur Fleck. Maybe not. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but it just kind of jumped out at me. But uh, all in all, we liked it. Yeah. And it's one that if you don't take the kids, please don't. And you were you were were talking to me at lunch earlier that we have to keep saying that, and I, I I didn't realize. But you just think some people are just not paying attention enough and thinking, "Oh, it's a Joker, it's a Batman movie. Let's take the kids." No, don't take your kids. (laughs) Do not. You know, and also,
1: and if you're thinking, well, because somebody asked us today, how is it? I mean, like Deadpool, bat? It couldn't be less like Deadpool. It would be impossible for this film to be less like Deadpool. We're not saying that there's like high. First of all, it's going to be too slow for your but children. But even if it's not. Right. I mean, it, it just really is. It's a, it, it's too slow of a film. They're, and by, But by the time that there's bloodshed, I mean, again, it's like, are you going to watch Taxi Driver with your kid?
0: <laughs> yeah, so uh, don't. But uh, other than that, enjoy. <laughs> all right, so let's hit some in limited release. We'll start with a documentary. It's the untold origin story behind Ridley Scott's Alien. It's called Memory, the Origins of Alien. They were all thinking about
1: this as more than a science fiction adventure in the future. There is a commentary in there about what we're doing as human
0: beings. Questions of where did life come from? What does it mean to be human? One scratch from global disaster. It's about those monsters outside the movie theater. It was haunting. Alien was talking about something that we're still not comfortable addressing.
1: This documentary, this is just a nerdgasm right here. It
0: really is. Although it's, I think the title is a bit of a misnomer because it's the origins of Alien. It does certainly focus on that, but then it really becomes a discussion of Alien. It gets the origins out of the way and then starts delving into why this worked on our subconscious yeah, exactly. and, and why it continues to resonate, which I, I certainly appreciate yeah. but you really get both here.
1: You really do. And, and it's such a fascinating idea of, of how there are really three separate visionaries each brought something incredibly important and then each was influenced by the one before so you start with of course Dan O'Bannon who wrote it and then uh Geiger who came in and just created developed the entire the look of it that was going to have so much influence on everything that happened and then of course Ridley Scott who came in and executed everything and knew exactly where the trajectory should take us and the way that this movie celebrating its 40th anniversary this year that's amazing took just sci-fi in the polar opposite direction because yeah. everything in sci-fi prior to this whether it was star trek or whether it was kubrick was so was so sterile mm-hmm. was so clean and this is like other world yeah and this is like a dump truck in space yeah and and you know and it's one of the things it just feeds these sort of this very classist, classism kind of a struggle that's in it, but at the same time, what this film spends the most time talking about is how it taps into our collective primal unconscious. Yeah, and you just the whole time it's it's a mesmerizing documentary.
0: Yeah. Now, if you haven't, for some reason, seen Alien, um, I would get that out of the way first. <laughs> but, yeah, don't
1: don't watch this before. <laughs> but if you haven't seen Alien, come on, yeah, what exactly. Up?
0: Forty years, I remember seeing it in the theater. <laughs> in the theater when it came out I... I was 15 and my my obviously my local theater didn't really care about carding for the r rated movie <laughs> and i was very appreciative of that but i'll tell you when that chest bursting scene hit i about lost my mind as all of us in the theater did because who thought that was coming
1: yeah and that i mean that is a it's an incredibly pivotal element in this documentary about how first be. of all yeah. that Scene was what got the movie made. Uh That scene was what got Ridley Scott on board, Uh you know, and then of course they had to spend a lot of time discussing how they shot that scene, how they got it to work. And it's just fascinating. I know, there's the
0: great part in this where they talk about Ridley Scott reading the script and yeah. getting to that part and going, holy yes Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whoa! Yeah, so definitely um, check it out. If you're a fan of Alien, I think it's really a must because you get the, the origin, as the title said, and you also get a really great discussion of things you may not have thought about, about the... Yeah why this movie works so well. It's called Memory, The Origins of Alien. Another one in much more limited release this week. Story of Alan Red and Smitty spending summer on the Jersey Shore, roving the boardwalk and getting into trouble. But the discovery of a good old-fashioned treasure sets the friends on an escalating course of suspicion and violence in the thriller Low Tide. Get to the boat. Don't you run!
1: You right. We leave it buried here and we don't tell anyone. It's buried here, or I show Red. I've been hearing rumors, and my friends have been talking to the police. Red's crazy, and Red doesn't like it when people lie. You need to stand up to him.
0: You like comics? This is your origin story. Are you going to grow up to be the good guy, or the bad guy? This was surprising fun. It's the feature debut for writer-director Kevin McMullen. And if you can imagine a reimagining of Ben Affleck's The Town mm-hmm. with a coming-of-age drama, mm-hmm. you kind of get the feeling of this. And it works. It really works because these kids are living, they're not living on the Jersey Shore. They're, they're townies. Right. And they resent all the people that come in, the tourists that come mm-hmm. in to spend their dollars having fun on the Jersey Shore. And they like to break into the houses mm-hmm. and steal stuff. <laughs> and, and they finally rope in um, Alan's younger brother, Peter, who's played by Jaden Martell from, from, it. from It.
1: From It and also yeah. uh, Midnight. St. Vincent. Yeah, St. Vincent. Yeah.
0: And uh, Midnight Special. Midnight and he's, Special. And he's such a great young actor. And so they, they rope him into being a lookout for the first time. And s- somebody snitched. So the cop shows up. Also Shea Wiggum. He's here in this this one as well. He's, he's in al- every movie. And yeah, he's always reliable. He is always good. And so then things go awry. And he's always a cop. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's a cop. Uh, and then it's clear that somebody snitched, and then there's uh, a buried treasure that only a couple of the boys know about, and who knows, and uh, who is suspicious of who, and who is going to be the next one to snitch. And it leans on these very adult heist movie tropes. So if mm-hmm. you've seen even one or two heist movies, you can guess a lot of things that are going to happen here. But the fact that it's utilized by these teenagers mm-hmm. adds a real different wrinkle to it. And it's not just Martel. The rest of the cast, very good. These young actors are very good as they play out this this drama. It's a movie that, as many have done before, it tries to pinpoint that moment when a young person chooses the destiny, or chooses the path for their right, life. Right, are they right. going to go this way or this way? Sure. And as Shea Wiggum's character asked one of them, hey, are you going to be a good guy or are you going to be a bad guy? But I just thought it was a nice, fresh way to look at it by putting these these kids in a, in a type of situation that you're used to adults being in. Mm-hmm. And especially, a lot of it reminded me of the town. Without the car chases. <laughs> no car chase here. But, you know, it's a quiet little movie. It's probably going to be hard to find. But I think it was it was worth it. I really enjoyed it. called Low Tide. Hey, we got another clown movie this week. This is a documentary, a crazy story set in Florida. Parents can hire Wrinkles the Clown to scare their misbehaving children. It's Wrinkles the Clown. I found out about Wrinkles through a news
1: story. Meet Southwest Florida's Wrinkles the Clown. Hi, Wrinkles. I'm a reporter
0: at the Washington. I'm a reporter pub. at the Naples Daily News. I've just seen your story blow up online. You can call him. He'll scare people for you. No, are you reach Wrinkles
1: the Clown. <laughs> you know, no one was hiring me when I was just a regular clown. I just thought, hey, you know, maybe I'll give it a little edge.
0: Oh you reach Wrinkles a clown. Leave me a
1: message, Uncle, you back. <laughs> Guys, there's somebody outside. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite lines in this movie is it Wrinkles and some of the parents refer to this as behavioral services and they, like with a straight face <laughs> i mean not that we see wrinkles face he wears that mask the whole time but it's a true story i mean it's you know it's a documentary and it and it mines this true story in florida of course
0: in, in fort myers florida right. which you know i used to live there right. and we still have family there in fact i reached out to my cousin who still lives there now, and said, do you remember Wrinkles the Clown? And she's like, yeah, I kind of do. My one son is really scared of clowns. <laughs> so he he knew about it, because I totally missed this. Totally missed any headlines about it.
1: Well, yeah, it was like 2016, I think, when it happened. And then shortly after that, it sparked the sort of nationwide, actually, I think it was global, because I think Europe had a lot of it too, are these sort of creepy clown sightings. But Wrinkles is a fascinating <laughs> idea, because what you have all over... are these stickers with this creepy clown face that just says Wrinkles, and it's got a phone number underneath, and you can call him, leave him a message, and hire him to frighten your kids. And scarier than Wrinkles are the messages. Yeah. Because it's like these parents, and you hear these children wailing, no, you know, Wrinkles, uh, for $30, I'll pay you to come eat my daughter. You know, I want, you know, my son's been terrible, and... Well, I'll call you back. And I mean you just hear these kids just bawling. Good and lord, I know. I know. It's horrifying. <laughs> I mean, the whole film is such a bizarre sociological experiment because then in the then it follows. I mean, he's very locally. I mean, he's in Fort Myers, Florida. Mm-hmm. But it it becomes an internet sensation. Oh. And then and then it's all these YouTube videos, children of themselves, where they call him up and then they get scared. And then the other next thing you hear it just digs into eventually the this idea of why are clowns so scary? And then also how the internet allows children, children via the internet, spread folklore mm-hmm. in a way that we've never seen oh, before. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the idea of the people who get the most mad at clowns are children who yeah. are basically taking this opportunity to stand up to their boogeyman. It's a Fascinating it's, again, sociological in a experiment.
0: Way, this film—it's like a, a slender man that is true, right? Because you, you expect this to be like an urban legend and something that the teenagers have invented, but no, a, this is a real guy uh-huh. doing this. It is crazy. It's writer-director Michael Beach Nichols, an unbelievable and has, story.
1: He, the writer-director has a sleight of hand heading in your direction as well, but but it, it fits with the story. It keeps you very interested. I mean, it's just a fascinating documentary.
0: Let's go back to another thriller by the water rivalries dark secrets and sexual tension emerge when three best friends find themselves stranded on a yacht in the middle of the ocean desperate for survival it's called harpoon i want a free punch yes deal why are you encouraging this and when i think of you you know someone once told me the sea finds out everything you've done wrong and these three have been pushing their luck from the very start
1: A better deal, we need to promise not to kill each other. (sighs) This is a weird little movie, it was fun in a very, very dark sort of a way. Call it a, a horror comedy, it's a horror comedy, yeah, a very dark one. And it's Brett Gelman, and you might recognize him he's always this deadpan weirdo in indie comedy dramedy type films and he's kind of the voice of god voiceover narrator in this film and he really gets the best lines and he's the reason the movie is as funny as it is but it's also it's just a a three-person film best, three best friends, two of them happen to be a couple, and uh, they're out on like a day cruise, and things go terribly awry, <laughs> and eventually, they're stranded for days on end, they've already tried to all of them kill each other, and now they have to work together to survive, I mean, it's a bloody mess, it's clever, and twisty, and so, so dark, but funny.
0: Yeah, this is writer-director Rob Grant, who wasn't really familiar with him before no. but uh, it's a you know horror comedy is a fun genre it is inside a genre but it can it can so easily go off the rails exactly and uh, and this one does not and uh, you know you get to be by the water <laughs> harpoon and one more documentary to mention this week is a story of a group of 1980s punk artists who started organizing and playing desert shows that later inspired Burning Man, Coachella and Lollapalooza it's called Desolation Center Punkers have been long at odds with police. The early 80s was a time of experimentation and rebellion. The LAPD freaked out about punk rock like it was the second coming of the Black Panthers. They were gonna squash that stuff. I started thinking, I need to apply some of the -the out-of-the-box punk rock thinking. And it sort of struck me like, wow, why couldn't we put this kind of really cool music into this desert environment? How many things could go wrong, you know?
1: This is one that Rachel Willis reviewed for us, and she liked it very much. It pained me to give this one up. <laughs> it's set in the very early 80s, so the, and it's West Coast punk, so it's after you know the sort of late 70s punk had already made everybody all mad, so the West Coast that's punk... that's your sweet spot. That is my sweet spot. So they were shutting down uh, punk shows. The police were in L.A., and so they moved it out into the desert, and then they moved it a couple of other places, and you get this really... Awesome archival footage of the meat puppets and Minutemen and Sonic Youth. And, you know, and it talks about really how this sort of these raw festivals got off the ground. But you just, you know, it, it's archival footage you're never going to see. It's deteriorating like in front of your eyes. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the raw power of a punk show is is so much fun. So it's, it's a, especially if you're a punk fan. It's a good time.
0: Yeah, so again, Rachel Willis reviewed it for us if you want to read her entire written review. And she gave it four out of five stars, so she really dug it. You can find that at madwolf.com. And that means it's time to go to the lobby, see what's new in home video. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Boy, a couple of good ones this week. Spider-Man: Far From Home. Well, any Spider-Man fan knows we got good news this week because they worked it out. I know they worked it, it out between Sony and Marvel. They're going to continue, uh, so Tom Holland should have another, at least one more installment after this, and and that's good news because. We we liked the first one, Homecoming, so much. Oh, yeah. Love the tone. Love Tom Holland as...
1: Really love Tom Holland. Peter as, Parker, yeah, Spider-Man. Yeah, so much. And
0: this one continues in the same vein. He is far from home, off uh-huh. on a field trip, and he just wants to be a kid and have a crush on MJ and all that. Well, he can't do that because Nick Fury is on the case and following him because there's troubles. And then you get Mysterio. That's right. Jake Gyllenhaal. What's you up get with him? Night Monkey. Mm. <laughs> night Monkey. <laughs> That's right. So... Yeah, we both enjoyed it very much. uh, And it's one of those where, talk about stingers at the end. You have to... Because there are several. You absolutely have to stick around throughout the credits because it's the final one, right? The final... Not for laughs. The final stinger after the credits will make you rethink the entire movie. Yep. And uh, so just, if you haven't seen it, stick around. Spider-Man Far From Home. And another documentary. Got a lot of documentaries this yeah. week. Yeah. You really liked. I called, did. Called Maiden.
1: And this is about the first uh, all-female crew to make a particular round-the-world yacht race. And it's such a fascinating look. It's such a slice of life. And, and the way that the film boat goes back and forth between the press coverage of this particular group of people, and then the 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 reality on the boat is just startling. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie.
0: Good stuff. Next week, we've got a full full slate. Gemini Man, Will Smith and Will Smith. The I guess it had to happen, the evolution that we've seen so much of this de-aging process where one actor is playing up against a younger version of himself. Uh, if you... <laughs> There's just there's a movie that came out how many years ago the the uh, the Congress, oh yeah, remember that yes sci-fi movie. It's basically the the premise is Robin Wright playing herself and she sells her likeness that she will not act in any more films but they bought her digital likeness. I tell you what, we're moving closer to that oh, we certainly every are. day. Yeah, we are. And this is the next step. And this is
1: Ang Lee. Mm-hmm. So I'm holding
0: out hope but God, I think the trailer looks awful. Well, it'll probably look fantastic mm. if anything else. So we'll see that. Also the Adams family animated version. I'm really looking forward to this actually. I, no. I mean I have my fingers crossed. All right. Jexy, now this is Adam Divine mm-hmm. and it looks like a play on her or where the computer and it's a uh, uh, Alexa uh-huh. or Siri yeah and she
1: becomes kind of a clingy girlfriend <laughs> yeah yeah
0: exactly so we'll see about that first love that's Takashi Mike oh! one we've already seen and loved it but we love Takashi Mike a uh, horror movie with Gary Oldman called Mary mm-hmm. It's coming out already mm-hmm. seen that too mm-hmm. and also another one we've already seen little monsters Lepido Niango. And uh, a bunch of kids uh, having to stay alive from a zombie horde. Yes. So lots of Halloween theme fun, and it's the perfect time for it, obviously. So we'll talk about those next week. In the meantime, how about Joker? That's one that really invites a lot of conversation, which is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. So if you want to keep it going, let us know. Keep in touch uh, by reaching out on Twitter. You can easily find us at Mad Wolf, M A D D W O L F, on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all the written reviews and other fun stuff, including Fright Club, our horror movie only podcast. You can find that at madwolf.com. Thank you, as always, for stopping by the screening room.
1: And do us a favor while you're here. If you would subscribe, rate, and review, we would really appreciate
0: it. Yeah, we have gotten, you know what, we are tardy sometimes about looking at the reviews. But we looked at them a few days ago. There's some really nice stuff in there. thank you so much. We really appreciate that. There was the one guy, though, that said he liked... Our rapport, he just doesn't agree with our mo- views no, on movies. No. All right. Yeah. Oh, that's fine yeah. because that does happen. So, uh, <laughs> certainly does. Uh, so, we definitely appreciate you listening either way. And uh, until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.